Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to pair together two passages from 2 Peter in just a moment. that will get us started in the Word of God. And so I'll encourage you to open up a Bible to 2 Peter, the first chapter, and we'll get ready to study together for these next few minutes. It is great to see everybody today. So glad that you are here, especially those of you who are visiting with us. A very special welcome to you. What a beautiful day that the Lord has made and granted unto us, and just a good day for us to be able to assemble and to worship Him and in His name, and I count it a privilege to be a part of this good number, and I like seeing people displaced from their normal seats. Got lots of people sitting in different spots today, but that's good. We need that kind of refreshment every now and then. If I could just do my own little personal uh, commercial for the meeting that's coming up this weekend, I am really personally very uh, excited for this. Uh, one of the reasons is because I know all of the speakers really, really well. I count them as dear brothers and friends, and so I'm looking forward to the things that uh, Luke and Mitchell and Brandon and Josh and Kane are going to be presenting to us uh, over the span of five lessons this weekend. I know that these guys have been brainstorming and studying and discussing for the last couple of months what they want to accomplish uh, in this particular series, just drawn right out of the thoughts of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. I've been privy to many of those discussions, and I have the utmost confidence that these five guys are going to stand before us this weekend, and they're not going to just stand up and say something. They're going to stand up and they're going to have something to say. And so I'll ask that you'll pray for them, pray for them in their kind of final preparations here in the go-home stretch. Let's pray that we'll have good weather, pray that it won't just come a big snowstorm uh, all of a sudden this weekend. Let's pray that we'll all be encouraged and benefited uh, by our time this weekend uh, in the Word. That's several days away though. How about we come to talk about what we've come to talk about this morning. In Second Peter, I'm reading here in verse number 1. Read with me if you will, beginning in verse 5. In Second Peter 1 and in verse 5, Peter writes there, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll hold that thought and maybe just look across the page in chapter 2... In chapter 2 of 2 Peter, as Peter is talking here about false teachers, he says in chapter 2 and in verse 19, he says that they, these false teachers, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Now, I read those two passages together because what links them both is the idea of habits. Both of these passages speak of things that we do habitually. In chapter 1, Peter talks there about making efforts to put into place some good habits, building godly habits that we build into our character that then help us in our walk with God and help us to serve Him better each day. Whereas in chapter 2, Peter talks there about kind of the dark side of habits, how bad habits can become dictators and tyrants in our lives. They can drag us into terrible behavior and even into sin. Now, when we talk about habits, this is certainly a time of the year when I think people are talking about and thinking 
about habits. I'm going to resolve to change this habit. I'm going to resolve to start this habit. And without a doubt, habits, habits are important. Habits are things that really we do without, without even having to think about. And all of us need some habits because the fact of the matter is you can't always stop and think everything through all the time. Sometimes you need some things that you can just kind of do, just kind of do automatically. Some things that are just kind of on autopilot, some things that will just take care of themselves. And so that's what we do. We find things that we're able to do and we start to do them routinely until finally they take hold and then it just becomes almost automatic in our lives. In fact, with habits, the more you do it, the more ingrained it becomes, the deeper it gets built in. And in fact, it gets to a point where those habits become difficult to change. The famous writer Samuel Johnson, he once wrote, the chains of habit are generally too small to be felt, that is, until they are too strong to be broken. I like that. I think that's a powerful metaphor. The idea of the chains of habit. Which has me wondering this morning here on the first Sunday of a new year, I'm wondering if maybe there are some habits that we would like to change in the new year. Are there maybe some habits, first of all, that we would like to build into our lives? Habits like the kind Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, I would love to be chained, if you will, to some good habits, wouldn't you? I'd like to be chained to good habits where I'm just almost automatically doing the right thing without even having to think about it very much. By that same token, I must tell you, I am absolutely terrified at the idea of being chained to bad habits. In fact, did you notice the term that's used there in 1 Peter chapter 2? Or 2 Peter chapter 2? Verse 19, Peter says, Enslave. Think about that. Do you want to be a slave to a bad habit? Do you want to be a slave to a habit that is destructive and tears you down? Something that just causes you to repeatedly be in sin and in darkness? I don't. And so right here on this first Lord's Day morning of 2019, this is a very opportune time for us to be thinking about habits and to then make some adjustments in our habits. And you should know that as I talk about habits this morning, this is not a sermon about New Year's resolutions. This is a sermon about habits. Seth talked a little bit Wednesday night about resolutions, but I'm afraid that far too often New Year's resolutions are just empty promises that are lightly made and then easily broken. I'm not interested in that. And I hope that you're not interested in that. We want to talk about habits. We want to talk about building good habits that draw us closer to Jesus Christ. And we want to talk about breaking free from bad habits that pull us away from the Lord and hinder our walk with Him. And so this morning, what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to just share with you four principles right out of the Word of God. Four biblical principles that will help all of us to change our habits in the direction that those changes need to be made so that all of us in the end can be better disciples for the Lord in this new year. Are you ready for that? Number one, I think this is exactly where this needs to start. Number one, we need to begin by just evaluating our motivations. I need to be asking myself, as I think about a particular habit that I'm wanting to change, I need to ask, why do I want to change this habit? Why do I want to start doing this? Or why do I want to stop doing that? What exactly is my motivation here? Would you find Proverbs chapter 4, please? 
In Proverbs chapter 4, cue that verse up. I'm going to read it in just a moment. You know, whenever we talk about the idea of changing a habit, we are talking about something that is oftentimes very, very difficult to do. For example, in the United States, it is estimated that 74% of smokers have tried to quit smoking, and more of them, they've tried to do that more than once. And yet the majority of that number, the majority of that 74%, the majority of them fail in that effort. And why is that? Well, I think a lot of that sometimes has to do with motivation. What's your motivation to quit smoking? I know a guy who quit smoking on his first try. You might be asking, well, how was he able to do that? I'll tell you how. He had a heart attack, nearly died. Doctor told him, if you don't stop smoking, you are going to die. Gave it up right there on the spot. One shot was all he needed. You see, that's motivation, isn't it? Motivation makes a difference. You think about all the folks who made New Year's resolutions about exercising and losing weight. People who went out and bought exercise clothes and they went and got a gym membership and they determined they were going to start eating right and they were going to cut out carbs and cut out all the sweets. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to most of those folks who made those resolutions, mm, I don't know, by like the first week of February? Statistically speaking, you know what's going to happen. Most of those folks and their resolutions are going to go unfulfilled. Why? Why, why, is it, why do all of those promises that they made to themselves, why do those promises not stick? Well, is it because maybe they have the wrong motivation going into it? You know, some people want to exercise and lose weight simply because, well, because of their physical appearance. They want to change how they look. It's a, it's a vanity thing that is motivating them. doesn't have anything to do with something important like their health, their physical health. No. They're interested in just looking a certain way. And what ends up happening is that after a few weeks of chomping down on bird seed and doing all these squat thrusts, eventually you just decide, you know what, this isn't worth it. I'm not doing this anymore. People need to just accept and love me for who I am and how I look right now. Well, this morning you need to understand we're not talking about dieting and exercise. We're talking here about serving the Lord. Do you have that passage in Proverbs chapter 4 queued up? Here's what the wise man says about our motives and where those things come from. In Proverbs chapter 4, this is verse 23. There the wise man says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, from the heart, flow the springs of life. What I'm asking you this morning is, what is in your heart? If the course of a person's life is determined by the heart, then what is in your heart? If your resolution, for example, is to read the Bible in 2019, you want to be a more devoted reader of the God's Word, you want to be more devoted to daily Bible reading and reading the Scriptures, and by the way, the daily Bible reading schedules are available. If you weren't here last week to pick one up, you can pick one of those up today. But what's your motivation for doing that? That's a great, that's a great resolution, a great idea. What's your motivation for doing that? Is your motivation to read the Bible this year, is it so that you can feel a sense of pride and accomplishment when you get to December the 31st? Hey, I stuck with Bible reading all year. I read the whole Bible this year. Hey, I'm really proud of myself. Is that why you're doing that? Is that your motive? Or maybe if you're having problems with a, with a habitual sin and you want to break free from that bad habit, what's your motivation for doing that? Is it because you're afraid you're going to get caught? 
Is that why you want to stop doing that sin? Is you're afraid of all the embarrassment and the shame that will come along with that? Is that your primary motive there? Or maybe you're thinking about how you need to improve your attendance habits this year. You know what? I haven't been at services on a regular basis like I need to be. I haven't been at Bible study regularly like I need to be. Okay, that's a good resolution. I want to make that change this year. What's driving that change? Is it guilt? Is that what's making you want to make that change? I just feel guilty when I'm not at services. You know, when I roll over and I hit the snooze button, or when I'm playing video games, or when I'm doing something else that I know I shouldn't be doing. I, I'm just tired of feeling that way, tired of feeling rotten. Is that your only motivation because of those guilty feelings? I'll tell you this, guilt is a good short-term motivator, but it's a lousy long-term motivator. You see, when we don't have right motives, then change isn't going to stick, it isn't going to last. When our heart is not set in the right place on the right things, then we're not going to end up building good habits and we're certainly not going to break free from those bad habits. Can I give you the right motivation? The the single right motive that we all need? Look at 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, right here is the purpose that we want to fill our hearts with. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says that this was one of the guiding principles in his life. In 1 Corinthians 9, I'm reading here in verse 25. In 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 25, Paul says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. Right there it is. What is that imperishable wreath? You know what it is. We need to fill our hearts with the desire to go to heaven. That's why I want to make these changes. That's why I need to adjust my habits. Because I want to go to heaven. The reason that I want to be more diligent about reading my Bible this year, the reason that I want to break free of that sinful habit, the reason that I want to be regular and constant in my attendance at worship is why? Because I ultimately want to go to heaven. I'm not making this change because I want to impress other people. I'm not making this change because I'm afraid that I'm going to be caught. I'm not making this change because I don't like those nagging feelings of guilt. No, I'm changing because I want to go to heaven. That's number one. That is the first consideration. I want to go and be with the Lord. I want to live with Him for all of eternity. When we fill our hearts and our minds with that kind of thinking, then the changes that we want to make will then always be viewed through the lens of heaven. That here's where I am. And here's where I want to be. Here's where I need to be. And so those changes in habits then serve to help to bridge that gap. And so whether I'm thinking today about needing to tame my temper, or maybe I'm needing to curb my complaining, or maybe I'm needing to be more hospitable, or whatever it may be, I need to be driven by the ultimate desire to go to heaven. That I want that more than anything else. It is my life's goal, and so I'm going to build the kinds of good and constant habits that will get me there. And I'm going to get rid of any of those rotten habits that are just going to drag me and pull me from going in that direction. When you start seeing things in light of that imperishable wreath, that imperishable crown, that great reward, I'm going to tell you, that is powerful. And that is a sustainable motivator. It will sustain you all the way throughout this life. And it will get you started on the path to real change, really changing our habits. Which will lead me then to say, secondly, 
something about grace. Because I believe if we are going to change our habits, we are going to need to rely upon the grace of God. Would you find Ephesians, the second chapter, please? In Ephesians chapter 2, here is probably the most famous passage in the Bible that talks explicitly and thoroughly about God's grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, let's read beginning in, let's begin verse 4. In Ephesians 2 and verse 4, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, I said a few moments ago that changing our habits is often very, very difficult. And one of the reasons that it is difficult is because our society regularly says that you can't do it. Our society regularly, and in a number of different ways, just says, you can't change. Our society says things like, well, you're born this way. You know, you're just genetically predisposed to be this way and to act this way and to think this way, and so there's just nothing you can do about that. Or our society says, you know what, you're just a product of your environment. You know, it's kind of that, you know, you can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. That sort of thinking. You know, try as you may, you just can't change. Which is really remarkable to me that anyone would ever think that. Because Ephesians chapter 2 says that God is able to change a sinner dead in trespasses. And He's able to change that individual into a saint. Alive in Christ. I gotta tell you, that's about as big of a change as you could possibly imagine. And what's the key component to that extraordinary change? The key component, according to Ephesians 2, is the grace of God. That change is brought about because God wants people to go to heaven. And so what does God do? God loves and God shows mercy. And God gives grace in order to save us. And then God loves. And God shows mercy. And God gives grace to keep on saving us. God wants to save you and He wants to save me so much that He is just doing stuff all the time. I mean like every hour of every day, God is doing stuff to save His people. He's doing that through His Word. He's doing that through His people. He's doing that through angels who minister and serve on our behalf. He's doing that through His providence, through circumstances that we can't even fully grasp and understand. He's doing all kinds of things to bring about the changes in our lives that will help us to get from here to there. Which means that all this stuff about changing habits, it's not all about what we do. And that's what I think gets forgotten a lot of times. Building godly habits or tearing down ungodly habits, it is not solely a product of the efforts of Josh McKibben. That's not how that happens. It's not all about what I do. It's not all about in my strength and in my power and in my ability, I'm going to make it work. No. Ephesians chapter 2 says that God is a huge part of that equation. 
He's a gigantic part of that equation because by His grace, He is working overtime to mold me into the image of His Son so that He can one day bring me home to heaven. That desire that I have to go to heaven, God has that desire too. In fact, I would suggest to you that God's desire for you to go to heaven is even greater than your desire to go to heaven. And so you realize then that for anyone to believe the lie that society says, which is actually the lie that the devil says, for anyone to believe that, you know what, I just can't change. I can't. I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I'm just, I'm just stuck. This is just how I'm going to be. I'm just going to have to learn to deal with this. For someone to say that, not only is that an assault and a, and a just belittlement of myself, it is belittling to God. Because that attitude says that God's power and God's grace, you know what, it's just not enough. It's just not enough to get anything done. Really? Could we ever honestly believe such a thing? Do we really believe that God sent His Son to this earth to die for our sins and that by that sacrifice, yes, we can be saved initially by His grace, but now that we are Christians and we experience some difficulties, we experience some temptations, we experience problems in this life, and now when we need some help, God's just kind of looking down from heaven saying, I just really can't do anything for him. I already used up all my grace in saving him the first time. There's just nothing I can do for that guy. He's just lost. No! While Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 does speak about our initial salvation, Verse 10 completes that thought by talking about how grace continues to help us in doing the good works that we were created for. The works that God prepared for us so that we would walk in them throughout the remainder of our lives. What this passage and a host of others is telling us is that God assists and God helps people to change their ways and to do what's right. By God's grace... He helps people to be saved and to continue to be saved. And so instead of me making a bunch of excuses about why I can't or I'm not able, what I need to say is I need to say, I can and I will by God's grace. Let me give you one more verse in this connection in the Psalms. Look in Psalm 37. Love this verse. In Psalm 37, right here is maybe the verse that needs to be the verse that everybody reads at the beginning of a new year. In Psalm 37, this is verse 5. In Psalm 37 and verse 5, this is David writing here. In Psalm 37 verse 5, David says, Commit your way to the Lord, and He will... Excuse me. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Notice this. And He will act. Don't you love that? That verse says we can change, and we can change not because we're so great, but because our God is so great, we trust in Him and He will act. By His grace, we can change our habits. Especially if we'll do this third thing, and that is if we'll be involved in genuine repentance. Look at Acts the 8th chapter. In Acts chapter 8, right here is a really just great illustration of what I'm talking about. In Acts chapter 8, you remember this is Simon the sorcerer. Here is a guy who has just recently become a Christian, but unfortunately, some of those bad habits from his former manner of life, some of those bad habits begin to creep back into the picture, and it causes some problems. 
Well, what's the solution? What's the solution when those bad habits creep back to the surface? Peter tells him what the solution is. In Acts 8, look in verse 22, he says, Repent therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Look at that. Bond. Chain. You are chained to a sinful habit. You need to repent of that. Verse 24, Simon answered him, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. You know, one of the reasons that I am always uneasy with preaching about New Year's resolutions is because sometimes what happens is, is we make resolutions that are, that are personal, and are relatively minor and trivial in their meaning. You know, but they're good things. They're things that are designed to you know, improve our life, to better us and better our lives in some way. But then we take those resolutions and we mix them with spiritual resolutions. Like really important stuff. Real significant changes that need to be happened. The kind of things that have eternal implications. And we mix all of those together. And I've got to tell you, that is very, very dangerous. Now, don't get me wrong. This stuff over here, those personal, trivial things, those are good things to do. Those are good things to resolve to do personally. I resolve in 2019 to mow the grass more regularly. I resolve in 2019 to eat more vegetables. I resolve in 2019 to not eat my food with my mouth open. Tiffany right now is realizing this is a phony list of resolutions. Josh is not going to do these things. But of course, all of those things, if I did determine to do them, all of those things would be, it would be good things to do. Maybe your resolution is something along those lines. Going to stop leaving my dirty socks all around the house. Going to start being more punctual and being on time in the places that I need to go. Those are all good things. They can make life better for us. They can make life better for the people who are around us. But I need to tell you, those kinds of resolutions are not the same thing as saying, in 2019, I'm going to stop looking at internet pornography. Or in 2019, I'm going to stop gossiping about other people. Or in 2019, I'm going to stop coveting after things that I don't have. You see, those are two completely different categories of resolutions, aren't they? And when I start mixing the things over here in the trivial bucket, with stuff over here that's in the spiritual bucket, with things that are significant, with things that are eternally important, then what I've done is I've dumped a bowl of apples into a big old bag of oranges. And those are things that do not need to be mixed together. If I break one of these trivial resolutions over here, well, what's our attitude about that? Eh, so what? Okay, I didn't pick my dirty socks up. Big deal! No, it's not a big deal. It's not going to matter in eternity. It doesn't really matter at all. You know, better luck next year, right? But when we start treating these resolutions over here, these spiritual resolutions in that way, you know, you know what, I, I didn't fix that problem in my life, but you know what, no big deal. Better luck next year than what I have done is I have set myself up to continue to be chained and enslaved to bad habits. And that is why this morning I'm being very clear to separate those two categories. And I'm suggesting to you that the way that we change these things, the way that we change sinful habits, the key ingredient is this right here. 
It's that big word that starts with an R, repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance is an amazing word. Because not only does it carry with it the idea of changing our actions, but what precedes that is that we've changed our mind about some things. I've changed my attitude about some things, and the outward actions then follow. Simon is told in Acts chapter 8 that he needs to make that kind of change. He says you need to change the thoughts and the intentions of your heart, Simon. And if you do that, then the outward actions are sure to follow. That's real repentance. And what we need to be doing is we need to be surveying our lives. And we need to be then saying correctly, you know what? I've identified something that needs to change. And the first thing that I need to say about that spiritually is that this... This is wrong. This is sin. This is going to keep me from going to heaven. This is going to cause me to be destroyed eternally. And so the reason that I'm changing this thing is because if I don't change that thing, I'm going to be left out of heaven. And so with God's help, that's that grace and mercy thing, what I'm going to do is I'm going to repent. And we need to be honest about that. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to evaluate the changes that we're making and where exactly we are in that change process, particularly as it pertains to repentance. I wonder if we were to just ask everybody in the room, you know, how many people resolved, maybe not out loud or in writing, but maybe just in your mind, you resolved at the beginning of 2018 that you were going to be more devoted to the reading of God's Word. I would like to think that just about everybody said that at some point. You know what? That's what I'm going to do. I need to do that. That's a great, that's a great resolution to make. In fact, I remember back at the beginning of 2018, Josh preached on Bible reading. And as soon as that sermon was over, I went out and grabbed one of the Bible reading schedules and just hit the floor running. Man, I was excited about reading the Bible last year. But if you did not follow through on that commitment, how many of us then said to the Lord, Lord, I need to repent of the sin of being busy with other things. Lord, I need to repent of pursuing after things that are mundane and things that are trivial instead of being focused and devoted on You and Your Word. Lord, last year I watched a lot of television. Lord, last year I went to a lot of ball games. Lord, last year I scrolled through Facebook until my eyeballs bled. But somehow I just never seem to find the time to read Your Word. Lord, my priorities have been out of whack. Lord, I have sinned because I have put other things first and I need to repent of that. You see, that's a whole lot different than saying, well, I hope I do better with Bible reading this year. Repentance. Repentance makes the difference. And what we need to see is that in matters of sin and righteousness, this repentance thing, it's not optional equipment. Again, the New Year's resolution mindset says, well, I'll, I'll get around to that one of these days. If I don't do better on picking up my socks this year, well, maybe I'll get around to doing that next year. Well, that's fine with socks, but in spiritual matters, the matters of the soul, that is not how this works. You can't say, oh, I ought to treat my wife better. Oh, I ought to pray more. Oh, I ought to be more regular in my attendance. I ought to control my temper. One of these days, I'll get around to doing that. No. Repentance demands that we say, this is sinful. This is wrong. And I need to change that right 
now. Can I plug in Proverbs again? Look in Proverbs in chapter 28. In Proverbs chapter 28, God speaks to this point specifically. In Proverbs chapter 28, this is verse 13. In Proverbs 28 and verse 13, there the wise man says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Could it be that the reason that we never make good on the changes that we propose every new year is because we simply have never repented? Instead, what we do is we conceal, we hide those transgressions. We layer them under a thin veneer of excuses. Then we go lumping them over here together with all these trivial and mundane sorts of things. God says you need to forsake your sin. You need to confess that sin. You need to repent of that sin. That's how you obtain mercy. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that that is how you affect change. All of that then leads me to this final observation this morning. And that is if we are going to change our habits in this new year and throughout our lives, then we are going to need to make some plans. If you're still in Proverbs, just fall back to chapter 14. In Proverbs chapter 14, this is verse 22. In Proverbs 14 and in verse 22, there Solomon writes, Proverbs 14 and 22, he says, Do they not go astray who devise evil? But those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. One translation I like says, Those who plan to do good, they will meet steadfast love and faithfulness. Can I just ask you this morning? What is your plan... To do good. What's your plan on how to get that done? You know, in the Bible, God is very pro-planning. You read about the plans for the ark in Genesis chapter 6. Or you read about the plans for the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. Or you read about the plans for God's worship in the book of Leviticus. That's just the first three books of the Bible. All throughout the Bible, God is always Planning. God planned before the foundations of this world so that we would have a means by which we could be forgiven and be saved. And so I believe we could take a page from the Lord Himself by doing some planning. You know, every important endeavor needs plans, right? Guys here that build need some plans. We need to draft up what exactly we're going to do here. Planning is important. Well, I'm going to ask you, what are your plans to do good? As one fellow said, no one drifts toward holiness. That's exactly right. No one drifts toward holiness. No one just accidentally builds a bunch of good habits. No one just accidentally tears down and gets rid of all kinds of bad habits. And so I'll ask one more time, what is your plan? I need to start just by identifying where the change is that needs to happen in my life. And then once I identify that, I need to be specific in how I'm going to address that. I need to think, for example, about how I'm going to implement those changes. If, for example, if I need to build the habit of Bible reading in my life, okay, that's a great idea. When are you going to do that? What time of day is that going to work best for you so that you can be constant in that? What exactly are you going to read every day? How much are you going to read each day? What is your plan. If I need to get rid of some kind of a sinful habit in my life, that's a great idea. Okay, what's your escape route 
for whenever you are faced with that particular temptation? Are there maybe some places and situations or even some people that you need to avoid and don't be around because that's going to draw you in? Is there maybe someone that I can call upon and I'm going to have them be an accountability partner to me? Someone I can go to and they're going to check on me and make sure that I'm walking the straight and narrow. What is your plan? You see, this calls for some specificity. Not vague, general platitudes like, I'm going to be a better Christian in 2019. Great idea! How? How are you going to be a better Christian in 2019? When? Where? What's that going to look like? Make it clear. Make it plain. Make it actionable. Can I give you three quick elements that really will help to make that plan work? Number one, let's start with some prayer. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 that we can pray to God to be delivered from evil. James says in James chapter 1 that we can pray for wisdom. Those are the kinds of things that we often need in order to bring about changes, to build positive change or to eliminate negative changes. So what we want to do is we want to get God involved in our plans and let's keep Him involved in that. Secondly, we're going to need some patience if we're going to change our habits. Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 9, Do not be weary in well-doing. He says we will reap if we don't give up. You know, good habits don't just form overnight. Bad habits don't just disappear overnight. No, change takes time, which means you will try, and from time to time, you will fall down. And what are you going to need to do? You're going to need to ask God for forgiveness. You're going to need to do some of that repenting. Then you're going to need to get right back up, and you're going to need to try again. That requires patience. And so we pray, we have patience, and then thirdly in this connection... We need to get us some perspective. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 at the conclusion of that great section in the Sermon on the Mount about, about worry and putting first the kingdom of God? In Matthew 6 and verse 34, Jesus says, Sufficient for today is its own trouble. When we talk about changing habits, I'm not talking to you this morning about living the next 60 years for Jesus. I'm talking about living today for Jesus. I'm talking about this afternoon, this evening, living for Jesus. Can you do that? What kind of habits can I get to work on right now, today, this very day? And what kind of habits can I start living right now? We're talking about one day at a time. That's the kind of perspective that we need to work that plan out and to ultimately affect change in our lives in this new year. As I was doing some research for this lesson, I came across a story about frontier days in the West where the roads, of course, were often just terrible and in many cases were just flat out just wagon ruts. And as one traveler was journeying along heading west, he came across a sign that someone had put up and the sign said this. It said, be careful of this rut. You'll be in it for the next 25 miles. I've been on that road before. How about you? Habits are kind of like those ruts. You get in them, and sometimes you have a hard time getting out of them. But you know what? If you can get in a good habit, you don't want to get out of that, do you? Because that's the kind of thing that will help to carry you right along for a really long way. 
And what you and I then need to be doing this morning is we need to be thinking about carving out some of those grooves, carving out some ruts that will carry and lead us to God and ultimately lead us to heaven. And if maybe I find that I'm already in some ruts that are not so good, maybe I'm in some ruts that are taking me in the opposite direction, then what kind of changes do I need to make so I can get out of that rut before it is too late? Now this is just prime thoughts for the invitation of Jesus Christ, I believe. And as we prepare to sing the song that's been selected as a song of invitation, what all of us need to be doing right now is we need to be taking just a few moments of careful examination and careful reflection. What all of us need to think about, and what I'm going to just propose right now, is that all of us think about just one thing. Maybe there's a bunch of habits that need to change in your life. Can you just think about one thing? What's the one main thing that needs to change in your life so that you can grow closer to the Lord and closer to heaven? What is it? Got it? You're thinking about it? Maybe you've been thinking about it all along already. What's that one thing? Now, how are we going to get to work on that one thing? If you're not a Christian this morning, I can go ahead and tell you what your one thing is that you need to change. You need to become a Christian. You need to stop being enslaved and chained to sin. And you need to be chained and enslaved to the Lord. You need to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, as Acts 2 and 38 instructs. Can we help you this morning to do that? That is a critical step. That is just the beginning, but it is a crucial step. Can we help you today to become a child of God, become a slave of the Lord? If you are a Christian, if you're not living right, maybe there is sin present in your life, a sinful habit that just keeps popping up over and over again. Brother, sister, what are you doing about that? Repentance. Repentance is the key here. Is that repentance, does it need to be done in a public sort of way? Where you call upon your brothers and sisters here to encourage you and to pray for you and to help you in making that repentance stick? Whatever it is. Maybe it's something that you just need to take care of between you and the Lord. Whatever it is, let's think about that. Let's rely upon the grace of God. And let's think about our desire, our unflinching desire to go to heaven. And I'm going to make that change and I'm going to let God help me so that I can be with Him someday for all of eternity. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, would you seize upon this opportunity right now? Do it right now while we stand and while we sing.